Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Where we bring Lordship to life every week, just proudly declaring Jesus Christ as Lord over all. And I think the older I get, Pastor Andrew, the uh, the more I realize that if Jesus isn't Lord of all, everything disintegrates. Yep. And and there is no coherency. There's no uh, there's no logical consistency. Uh, it ends up getting just nuts. And I think uh, as as cultures drift farther and farther away from the Lord, which is something we're seeing right now, we were just talking before we hit the uh, start button here. It's amazing right now, just the chaos that is uh, everywhere in the world. I think last time we were on this podcast and chatting with you, uh, we were talking about what's going on in Toronto with the truckers and uh, vaccine mandates and all this kind of thing, and just the tyranny um, uh, and the over government overreach. And the sad thing is, I mean, that's just, just our friends to the north who, who have been most like us, you know, I mean, uh, like our Canadian brothers and sisters, uh, while, they, while they do not have an American form of government, they certainly have shared uh, American values uh, in terms of liberty and freedom and, and, and all of that. Uh, and even even a God-centered country, uh, I would say a Christian country and in uh, their roots. So it's just disturbing uh, as that has progressed. We're, we're recording these things about a week or so ahead. So we're trying not to talk too much about current events because when this podcast yeah. airs, it might not be current anymore. Yeah. But as we're also as we're recording this, we're you know we're looking at a uh, a serious uh, threat for uh, Russia to invade the Ukraine, uh, which would be a bloodbath, and um, uh, you know obviously praying for God's mercy there. But just chaos. We got chaos in our own borders. We got chaos in our own government. Yeah. Um, Supply chains. Yeah, all right. these different things. People talk about the, the inflation, the economic. All, I mean, I don't know all the stuff. I'm just there. Are a lot of noise out there, right? And I would be absolutely cynic right now if I weren't for the hope in Jesus Christ. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I want to give an update too. You know, because even locally, uh, we're fighting some battles down at the state house uh, with good folks representing us down there. Um, we saw, we're actually, I think, going to see some really. Uh, good progress with a bill that uh, it's, it's called House Bill uh, 1040. My glasses on here, 1041. Um, but it basically deals with protecting uh, biological females uh, in sports. So you're not going to see happening what's going on right now with this Ivy League, uh, you know, young man who is swimming as a woman. Uh, Breaking and, all kind of records. And dominating yeah. the whole Ivy League. Yeah. Uh, and really, it's, a, it's an absolute destruction of what it means to be a woman and certainly a, 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 an obliteration of women's sports, which every woman should be absolutely insulted, but every man who cares about their daughters or, uh, or women in general should equally be outraged. And so uh, I think it's just common sense bill, which is basically saying that a biological man uh, cannot compete in a biological woman's sport, no matter whether they think they think or believe they're a female or not, which would be a big win for girls' uh, sports here in Indiana. That the problem is um, uh, sometimes as these bills go along, things get gutted. And in this particular bill, uh, it did not apply to collegiate sports, which makes no sense. Uh, you know, somehow when you get to college, biology doesn't matter just because you're in a more uh, leftist liberal crowd. You know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think they're still fighting to to get the collegiate sports put in there as well. Otherwise, it's ridiculous. You got high school girls competing to be the best and they go off to college only to have a, a man uh, competing in their sport and, and they no longer you know can achieve their goal so yeah. anyway that would be a tragedy but the other uh, bill was dealing with um, 
protecting parents and protecting students. It dealt with the teaching of critical race theory, um, divisive concepts, and really this uh, uh, in-school counseling. It goes by a different name, but basically it's, it's, it is a, a school official offering personal private counseling to your student without parental knowledge. And of course, this is a no-brainer for us as parents because we believe our children are our responsibility before God. And even when we send them off to schools, uh, teachers and superintendents and school boards and all of that are still accountable to parents. I mean, they're, do, they're working on our behalf. They're, they're working with delegated authority. The problem is there are many, many uh, teachers unions and uh, uh, you know, superintendents and power brokers in public schools that believe that at, once those kids come to school, they belong to the state at that point. And, uh, and so teachers unions always fight against this type of thing. In fact, the, the latest uh, bill when it went to the Senate was completely gutted by the Rogers Amendment, uh, which pretty much took all the enforcement uh, teeth out of the bill. In other words, you're a parent, your kid comes home from a school district and we've outlawed teaching critical race theory. It's divisive, it's poisonous, it, it lies about American history. Uh, you don't want it. Uh, and all of a sudden your kid has homework that is CRT. So what do you do? Well, with the bill as it was originally written, the teacher or this parent would have recourse to say, you just violated the law here. And there, were, there was punishment involved. There was a, an enforcement policy so that uh, school boards, teachers, et cetera, superintendents had to comply. And if they didn't, uh, you know, there were punishment, real punishment. Well, all that's been gutted. And, and so now, uh, again, you might have a bill on paper uh, and Michael Clark with the American Family Institution brought out a great uh, illustration. He said back in the 80s, there was legislation passed that said, you know, uh, and regarding health classes, um, that um, abstinence was the best form of uh, birth control. You know, wait till you're married. Yeah. And that that was to be taught in every, you know, health class in America or in, in Indiana. The problem was there was no enforcement policy to right. make sure that happened. Right. And so it looked good on paper. Um, but if the teacher said, ah, we're not going to teach that, we're going to teach about condoms, and we're going to teach about, you know, every other kind of uh, abortion or whatever in the schools, uh, there was no enforcement. And so that's where this bill is right now. Uh, and we need to, you know, again, I'm telling you to call, but it's going to be a week, week later, but I'm just giving you an update. These are some good battles, but battles we're still fighting and um, over things that, you know, again, would, would have been common sense, you know, a decade ago. And, and that's my thing. It's like I appreciate um, our representatives, people who share our values advocating for these policies. I, don't get me wrong. I appreciate them. Yeah. But, but for me, these are just Band-Aids. You know, we're like, oh, this attack is coming. We got to worry about this attack. This attack is coming. Worrying about this attack. And you might feel the same frustration I do, which is like, I feel like we're just playing defense. You play defense all day long. You're not going to win the game. Yeah. You just, you just delaying the inevitable. Yeah. See, this is why, and this transition to the topic that you and I want to chat about a, a new ministry while we're relaunching is how do we actually go on the offensive? How do we actually bring righteousness to these different arenas yeah. for too long? See, this is, this stirs up a fire in my heart because for too long, the church, and when I church, when I talk about church, I mean like the corporate body, not the institutional. The, the corporate body in America has abandoned education, abandoned uh, 
government, abandon the marketplace, abandon entertainment. We have we have segregated ourselves in the church and four walls of the church and say, hey, you know, that's all going to hell anyway. We're going to just wait till Jesus, whatever mentality you have, we have, we have, we have separated work from worship. And, and now we, now we're reaping the fruit of all these different things yeah. for us to go on offensive is not just through legislation. Legislation is, is, is just a bandage, just a deterrent right. for us to go on offensive. We have to actually usher in the kingdom of God in all these different arenas. And yeah. that's the reason we start our market share to again, change minds and hearts to say work is worship. That when you go to work every day, that's your number one ministry. And when you go home, that you're well, ministering to your family. And let me just say this, this, that concept is radical because we've, because of quote, separation of church and state. Yeah. We've been taught that we're not allowed to bring our Christian values into the marketplace, uh, that that's a violation, like you're, that belongs in your home or it belongs in church. Right. But the radical thing is we're saying Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And if you're a Christian, you don't leave your Christian views at home. That's why we have conscience protection and religious liberty. It Absolutely. basically says you're able to practice your faith. Wherever you go, you can, you can't you know hermetically seal your faith into a little ziploc baggie and leave it leave it off to the side. Your faith is who you are. It's who yeah. it's our life. That's called disintegration. It's it's you're, you're compartmentalized. Whereas we function best when we're integrated as a whole. You know, and and that's just that Marcus shares like a lot of these idea of like the the separation of like the empirical truth and like your truth, your own philosophy comes from the enlightenment. These yeah. these philosophy. Is ingrained in us is, is deep, for 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 years and years and years and years so deeply ingrained in us that we don't even recognize it anymore. So when we speak out pu- publicly about these issues, we almost feel intimidated because that's the pervading culture. But we got to change. So for us to face these issues, that's like shoving these crazy things down our throat. We have to really face the root of this. Well, I mean, like you said, these these issues are all being battled out to state house, and when we as Christians start speaking out about them, yeah. We get attacked from multiple sources. We got the the secularists who are saying, "Stay in your lane. You have no opinion. Yeah, you have no authority uh, in this. You have right? No authority, no opinion. Thank you, Christians. Keep your mouth shut. Uh, and then you have Christians who are saying, "Stay in your lane. You make us look bad. You yeah, know, yeah, just just you know, tell Bible stories at church and and uh, and don't really get to where the battle's being fought. Yeah. And as a consequence, you know, I, I've heard it said before. You know, for instance, you're the governor of the state of Indiana is going to touch more lives directly than I am as a local pastor at a local church in Crown Point, Indiana. That's just the truth. The governor has authority over everybody in the state in terms of uh, his role or her role, and uh, and the laws that are passed touch us all. Um, And so for us not to care about, for instance, who's the next governor, or for us not to care about whether our local officials are godly people that, that love Jesus and love righteousness is just it's setting ourselves up for all this chaos that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, we are establishing this idea of disintegration of our 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 philosophical our, our, the, what we truly believe in what we do, which is unhealthy and and ends up being bad policy. I, I mean, so. go back to the truckers. Tell me if you don't think government is important when they're, you're having a peaceful protest. You got kids, your own children, with you, and, and you know, and uh, jumping toys or whatever playing on the yeah, streets. Castles. Or you got people castles, singing, yeah. you know, the Canadian national anthem, and they're there to, to simply have a peaceful protest because we're not talking about oh we disagree with this law because we can all disagree with laws. We're talking about laws that literally 
seek to destroy your livelihood. Like you're not going to be able to do business in this state as a trucker if you're not vaccinated and have proof of your vaccine. I mean, this is designed either you comply or we destroy you. So this is a legitimate, peaceful, democratic, righteous form of protest. Um, And they're coming in now freezing your personal, uh, uh, you know, finance account, which basically means we're going to starve you. You have no resources. We're going to track you down. We're going to fine you. We're going to use tear gas to get you out of your truck. Uh, We're going to plow over you with mounted police on horses. Um, And can you sit back now as a Canadian Christian and go, well, we really shouldn't be involved, you know, in and government. Uh, we should just focus on preaching the gospel. That sounds really great until you, you and your livelihood and your family are being destroyed simply because you disagree with whoever's in power. And, and the interesting thing is, is when you have these rioting and all this stuff, uh, you got some you got some Christians, um, you know, who are self-proclaimed Christian, who are all like, yeah, we're, we got this about social justice, and then they, they jump in and they use religious language Right. about all those different things it's like well why not religious language for these things it's like religion only allows you to protest certain things but not other things well you know? and let's look at the nature of protest you know a, a civil righteous godly protest is peaceful it does not involve uh injuring other people it does not involve the destruction of personal property the, the, these two these two protests are night and day yeah. um no one's burning down the capitol nobody there is shooting at, at you know at police officers or anything like that um so they're apples and oranges once again but we have we have a religious crowd that's that's supporting the burning down of buildings and all that in the name of social justice but then you you got the same crowd that would be crying out, "Why aren't you submitting to you know to your government right now? That's that's not right for you to park your trucks and, right. and stop everything." Um, and again, there, it's apples and oranges. You, you know, there there is a legitimate form of peaceful protest, uh, the right to assemble, the right to share your opinions, uh, the right to to call for meetings to try to work through things. Which again, they've tried to do in the. Their own government won't meet with the leaders. Uh, instead, they're just seeking to destroy the leaders. So, but 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 back to even what we're doing here is, you know, we started market share because we want to engage. We said, hey, you know what? We want to really engage. We don't want to just wait for band aid at the state house. Which again, I appreciate that. But we want to engage in our culture. We yep. want to uh, reveal the kingdom of God in our workplace. That's the, really the purpose of market share for anyone who works to change our mentality, change our heart to say, no, there's no compartmentalization. We want to minister when we go into work, whether you're a leader or you're a frontline worker. Yep. But we're also starting or relaunching a new ministry yep. um, that wants to engage uh, in the in the governmental realm. Yeah. yeah, you know, over the last two and a half years since the, the I call it COVID craziness, not to not to deny that COVID is real or that people have been, uh, you know, hurt by this, um, but the government overreach, really the control behind it, um, a government using this COVID as a as a mask, really to implement all kinds of uh, overreach and power, that's um, yeah, not healthy. We have seen in our church an influx of I just call them patriots. Um, they're people who appreciated the fact that we pushed back people appreciated the fact that we stayed open that we kept being the god preaching the gospel loving people we leaned into the problem we didn't run from the problem we didn't buy into that mentality that says um we're we're loving our neighbor if we just lock ourselves in our houses and don't come out um we just rejected all of that and we move forward in faith and we love people and we trusted the lord 
And as a result, as you know, um, we have, we're now reaching the point where we've probably quadrupled in two years. Uh, we're experiencing crazy, you know, fruit on all sides. And I, I, I'll just put a little comma there because I think we need to highlight some of that fruit. I mean, we just we just set a record in our children's ministry Sunday. Yeah, we had a higher, this past Sunday, which for you guys would be two Sundays ago, um, we had our highest number of children this is between two services. February, single digits, gold, yeah. uh, Northwest Indiana is certainly not, you know, your, your banner month. I mean, uh, we had a, a call out for family mission strip. We had 100 applications taken on the very first day. I think 90 people are planning on going uh, on our missions, our family mission trip this summer. Basically, every single ministry is exploding. I mean, right across the board. Our men's and women encounters are really full. And, and that kind of ties into what we're talking about, getting healed from shame. But we, we do a men's and women's encounter that basically holds about 90 to 100 people. And, and, and within a moment's time, those things are, are just jam-packed and full. We have to turn people away. And it's because, I believe this, it's because people are looking for leadership. They're looking for um pastors to provide strong principled leadership from the pulpit and talk about issues that matter that are facing americans they're looking for presence they're looking for the holy spirit and where the holy spirit is honored people's lives are getting changed and transformed um and and they're they're patriotic people who are concerned about this nation and we're just like i said everything that's happening right now is just god's blessing and things are blowing up which leads to the start of marketplaces which leads to the common ground ministry that was birthed and now I really believe it's time. You know, I had a call out Sunday for a ministry that we've had conceptually now in our hearts for over a decade. Uh, it's called Public Square. And the idea of Public Square is the, uh, the plumb line that, that uh, is established that tells whether something is right and true. And the church's job uh, is obviously we're not, we're not at the state house making laws. We're not, we're not government. We have a different role. But we have a role of, of holding the plumb line. It's not a plumb line we created. It's the plumb line God created. It, it's thus say that the Lord is public righteousness. It's determining uh, whether a bill is godly or ungodly, um, whether uh, a certain policy promotes good or promotes evil, uh, and, and holding our politicians responsible uh, and holding their feet to the law of God. That's the plumb line. The plumb line is uh, is what's make the public square. It, it makes everything in order, all right? And, uh, and it brings justice, and this is the beauty of biblical justice. When we talk about righteousness, it blesses everybody, whether you believe in God or not. So we are really feeling like it's the season to pull that group together and really get some, some traction, especially with an election coming up. We had a call out on Sunday, and the response was amazing. We'll follow it up this week. But I'm talking about, you know, we could have a couple hundred people uh, that are concerned about and want to get involved yeah. and that we're really trying to mobilize not to be political that's important we're not promoting a, a certain uh, party we're not even trying to create a third party uh, we're not political in nature but we are prophetic in nature uh, and it ties back into the lordship of Jesus why would the church be involved in getting good people elected why would the church be involved in in speaking out on the, the you know the concern over certain bills or, or speaking into bills or calling our, our representatives or calling the governor on certain things. Um, it's because Jesus is Lord of all and he's Lord of government. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so for us not to get involved in public policy means we just basically hand the keys over to, you know, ungodly people who are going to promote all kinds of perversions in the name of, of government. I think the way I think about this, like to be 
to, to become a leader at a church. It's a calling from God to be a leader in the marketplace, to, to be a frontline leader, to be a frontline worker in the marketplace is a calling. Yeah. You know, it might not be a permanent calling, but it's a calling for the season. Like when you see it as a calling from God, you treat it as worship because God has designated to say, hey, this is where I want you to be. Or I delight in you and I enjoy you doing this job. When you go into work, that's a calling. Yep. How about governmental? How about governing uh, positions? How about being a mayor or city council or, yeah. or uh, school board? Yeah. Do we just say, well, that's, that's nothing to do with God. God doesn't care about that at all. No, it's a calling from God. The pastors used to see their role as disciplers of community leaders. And so where you know, where's the next business leader going to come from? The church. Where's the next education leader going to come from? The church. Where, how about this? Where's the next governor going to come from? Well, they might be sitting uh, in your church on Sunday morning, and if the if the pulpit does not envision people with those callings, they're going to feel like that calling is not holy or sacred under the yeah. Lord, uh, and that they have to leave the church to go figure out how to how to uh, be a, po a politician or a government. And how many uh, elected officials that they give a good talk? And then once they get to D.C. or they go to the state house, all of a sudden, because of the influence there and the lack of support from home, a lack of uh, of godly encouragement and support. Because you know how it is when you're isolated, you're by yourself, you're surrounded by complete different influences. You change. Yeah. So where is the influence from 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 local churches, from godly people who's going to come around you and say, we're praying for you. We're encouraging you. Don't cave. This is I know this is a tough season. I know there's temptation all around, you know, but don't cave. We got your back. That's what we need, you know. So that that's you know, well said, and that that's what we're looking to to launch leading up to this uh, this next midterm election because so much is at stake. Yeah. And uh, and we just want people to be mobilized, get behind good candidates, uh, not promoting a, a candidate or a party, but get behind people that share our values and help you know uh, help raise up people from within our church that would be the ones that champion those causes for righteousness. So. Yeah. Anyway, I'm very, very excited about that. That'll be, uh, that, that'll be, let me see. Yeah. By the time this uh, airs, it will, we will have just had our first meeting, but it's called Public Square. You can check it out on, on our, uh, on our uh, Livingstones website. And, you know, I think this is good because in, in politics, what you find today is when you're debating a certain bill, people always try to claim the moral high ground. And then, and then a tactic is they shame people on the other side, like, you're behind the times. You're you're on the wrong side of history. Uh, you're a bigot. That you know all the name calling. It's all rooted in shame, and that's exactly what we're talking about now on Sunday mornings in our series on the great relationship killer, which is shame. And um, it's those areas where we feel you know. It's one thing to say I disagree with this policy. It's another thing to say you're an evil person for even wanting to support it. Yeah, uh, that's what shame does. It says I'm the bad guy, and then you got to spend all your time trying to backpedal. No, 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 no. I'm really not a bad guy, and, and conservatives do this all the time. But let's talk today. You 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 did an amazing job uh, uh, teaching team teaching with me on this topic, and uh, in fact, as we were getting ready to come up here, you were talking with your dentist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I know this has not been this is a sore spot for you the word dentist yeah. but you were just saying you know you're paying for uh, I guess shame for not dealing with shame or dealing with what came into your mind when you think of the dentist for avoidance behavior uh, but talk a little bit about that because one thing if you've, if you've heard Pastor Andrew teach or preach on this topic what I love about him is he's just real the stories that you share are profound 
there's stories people can identify with. And I know I know many people in our church are really getting touched right now by this whole topic of shame. So yeah. talk a little bit about, about how all that relates to the shame for well, you. I, I think this is where it gets confusing because shame will do everything it can, or the devil will do everything it can to hide shame so you can't recognize it. Right. But that's why we want to clarify. Shame is the feeling that you're not enough, okay? You're not worthy and not you're not valuable. So and even to back up, shame, yeah. I think it's important. Shame is a feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that, you know, it's the feeling that something's not right. You're not good enough, that you're not enough. Right. That you, and then fear comes in, and there's a lot of things mixed in yeah. there. But it hits us at the emotional level yep. first, yep. which is why it's hard for us to identify yeah. it. And a lot of times we don't even want to articulate it because it's a feeling. We feel we feel shameful for our feelings. Right. But We're ashamed of being shamed. Shame of being shamed, right. So, you know, for again, like for me, I, I am... Generally, I'm not a procrastinator. I get things done. Yes, I'm forward thinking. I plan things yep. well. I am studious. Proactive. I find this pretty good with those stuff. You know, I always, I haven't always been good, but I've, in the last several years, I've been, in the last decade, I've really worked on those. That's, that's my wiring. But with my teeth, it's just a huge blind spot, a huge blind spot. Um, you know, and recently I had some major teeth pain. And I keep playing it off like, oh, it must be something else. And eventually the pain was so great, I had to go see a dentist. And I went to go see a dentist and you know, come out with a several thousand dollar bill. I haven't done it yet, but potential bill. Sure. Right. And I felt so much shame. And I'm like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done up, that. Just to back up, why, why did that realization that you needed to get your tooth fixed and it was going to cost some money. Yeah. Why did that cause shame? I mean, people get their teeth fixed all the time. Well, it caused shame because there's so many things I could have done, I should have done. The regular checkup, getting a night guard for my teeth, all these things I know I should have done, but I didn't do. And so it's the could have and should have, you the feel regrets. like you failed. And now I'm going to cost my family all these money. And, and the reason, and here's the thing, is the reason I didn't do those things is because I had previous shame with my teeth. You know, when I was young, um, I had a lot of teeth issues. So when I went to the dentist, uh, I felt shame because I didn't brush my teeth right. Or I felt shame by the dentist. I felt shame that I spent money, my parents' money. We didn't have a lot of money. So we spent all you the money. Burned to the burn. I felt just there was an emotional bubble there, emotional hindrance there. So in other areas of my life, I'm like, yeah, I got to eat correctly. I get energized by eating correctly to take good care of my health. I get energized to exercise so I can be proactive. I get energized to, to you know, not buy what I can't afford. Those are energizing for me to be proactive. With my teeth, my brain doesn't even go there. My brain is completely compartmentalized, completely disintegrated with shame. I'm like, I'm not even processing that. I'm not thinking about that. I should probably get a night guard. Nope. I'm not going to think about it. I should go get a checkup. Nope, I'm not thinking about so, it. So listen, because I, I attest to the fact that Andrew is incredibly proactive, hard worker, amazing. But in this area, it's interesting. It's, it's almost like a tooth decay as an illustration. Yeah. You know, you, you, you have a, a spot that's sensitive or whatever, and there's maybe a, a needs to be cleaned or you need to do a better job, you know, uh, brushing your teeth. But, but you don't. And then it gets a little worse. Before you know it, you're in extreme pain. And what could have been solved early on if it was addressed now becomes a, a major issue and uh but it's what's interesting like you said that you this is just a little bubble of your life it's like dental everything else is great well but, not everything else <laughs> <laughs> no i would say yeah. you're doing pretty good but it's interesting because because it, again it's so it's such so such a picture of how shame gets us stuck yeah if we don't address it you know, this happened to you when you were a child. That's where that door was open, right? The shame door. 
And uh, because you never either identified it as shame or addressed it properly, now as an adult, the issues are bigger. And I think, you know, think about all these issues people deal with with their marriages or with their parenting or, or you know, just their lives in general because they haven't dealt with something in the past properly. They're yeah. still stuck there. And now it just gets worse. You yeah. know, like marriage, it happens in marriage all the time. What could have been just a simple misunderstanding ends up in a full-blown divorce. Because you don't address, because there was that initial feeling as a child, I felt like I was not worthy. I was not enough. I screwed up. And that shame just simmered. It was like a hidden virus yeah. just simmered I call there. it a low-grade fever. You know, it's not enough to knock you out, right. but you know you're still not feeling quite right. Right. Know? It's just it's just under the radar, subtle, and absorbing energy, and then just keeping you from doing what you need to do. You cannot I call it you cannot recruit all your brain to make the right the best decision I was talking with some uh, business guys the other day I said look as a business owner your 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 number one job is to make the best decision to solve problem make the best decision but because of shame you end up not recruiting all your facilities all your right. abilities to make these decisions so it's like I couldn't or I, I chose not to use all my facilities. I don't even talk to my wife about it because she has no shame with teeth. She looks at me, she's like, why wouldn't you go get a checkup? She doesn't even understand. Right, right. And I look at myself, I'm like, why do you go get a checkup? It's so painful, it's so degrading, it's so terrible, you know, because right. in my mind, that's what it's blown up to. Right. But when I saw through her lens, I'm like, wow, the problem is in my heart. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, this is not the insurmountable problem. God will provide sure, you get yeah. your tooth fixed. You know, people get crowns all the time. This is not like a, a unique situation. But what's unique is the way you've had to process it all uh, and the shame that's been attached to that. Yeah. And uh, But I just appreciate that as an example. You also shared a couple other examples that I thought were so powerful. A, a young Asian man in school that basically compared him himself with you, put you down, I'm better than you in everything, you know. That hits you powerfully when you're a kid, and it sends these messages into your head that says you're not enough, uh, you, you can't you can't compete, you're, you're second rate, and and here's you know back to the business example, when when we don't have shame, we're able to aggressively like jump into whatever the situation is. We have all the energy, we're creative, creative. we're excited, we're like, hey, how do we solve this problem? But when shame is there, you're you're thinking like, do I have what it takes to solve the problem? Am I smart enough? What if I don't solve the problem? What if what if? And it's interesting how it all creates disintegration it's, in our minds. There's a whole cloud. You're in a fog. You cannot see the picture clearly. I mean, I, I know parents, myself included, that because of shame, because your own mistake, or because you didn't correct your kids correct right, the next time you might be hesitant and you might enable them and not correct them all because of shame. I'm going back to the example of David, you know, and that's like a mega issue. But but on the micro scale of just like, that's why a lot of times parents don't necessarily address issue with their kids and let them kind of go wild because of shame or they so, dress it too strongly. Right. So it's, the, it's either the passive kind of paralyzed parent, yeah. which is what David was. Here his son commits a, an egregious sin against his own half-sister and David's mad about it, but he doesn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, because again, he's probably processing through his own shame, like deja vu. This yeah. happened to me, uh, so I'm going to be soft on my son or whatever. Same thing with Absalom. He had the same problem with Absalom when Absalom was leading a full-blown rebellion, right? Yeah. And uh, and he he never disciplined his son. That's why he had that problem. So think about how many uh, of our young people, like you said, it's either a harshness 
an overreaction and over strictness and anger and discipline or a complete passivity. Right. Talk about how shame produces the the anger and the, the overreaction. Yeah, and I, I, I think I shared this example. I don't remember what service, um, maybe a third service I, I shared. Like, it all gets confusing. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> did I share a podcast or a second service? or? Um, but you know, Adam and Eve, they respond to shame through hiding. But the king, their son, respond to shame when God said, when he offered a sacrifice that wasn't as pleasing as Abel's sacrifice. And God, God confronted him, really as a loving father. I mean, God, the created universe coming and warning you and say, hey, sin's crashing at your doorstep. You better watch out. Right. He interpreted that through, through the lens of shame. His narrative was like, God doesn't love me. He said, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. So he, back, to, back to the issue of the sacrifice, you know, God, God looked beyond the sacrifice itself and saw the condition of his heart right and, and uh, he said you know i'm not pleased with what you're offering because of what's going on on the inside god's trying to help me he's trying right. to follow him. he's trying to follow him. god he was pursuing shaming. no he was pursuing him but again shame has already twisted his whole narrative and he sees god's pursuit as shaming or degrading and he felt i'm not worthy i'm not enough of course i'm reading to him the bible doesn't say specifically those things but out of anger he killed abel Right. And uh, and for for men, a lot of men I know that our manifestation of shame is not through. For some men, they hide, but for others, uh, me in particular, I take out my frustration. I I it, it comes off in frustration. I get angry. I get upset. I think a lot of times when people have road rage or just like this unexpressible uh, rage, is because deep in their soul, deep in the heart, there's a sense that I'm not enough, right. and I'm angry, and I feel helpless, and I, I'm right. cornered. I'm cornered, so I have to, you know, what do you do when the corner animal? You you rage well, out. Yeah. In my own life, you know, if you think of areas where you're not competent, just in the, like, yeah. like electronically or with computers, if something goes wrong, I'm in trouble. I don't, I don't, it's not intuitive for me. Yeah. I don't know how to fix it. And I'm not a handyman. You know, I didn't grow up with a father who taught me how to swing hammers and, you know, and use power tools and all that kind of stuff. So, so if something at home breaks, instantly i get into this mode of anxiety or you know if you were a real husband you'd know how to fix this you know yeah. uh you beat yourself even up. though your wife would never say it to you or no, nor no, no, feel no. that she, way she hey she married me for who i am yeah. and, and you know and she's very affirming in fact she's much more she's much more of a handy woman than i am a handy right. man <laughs> right. um but my point is you know when when something's not working the way it's supposed to be or i've tried home improvement projects right mm -hmm. where you watch the video okay i can do that and invariably it's not like what showed on the video. Yeah, like that's, that's a little, the video little crooked. Yeah, look like that. Yeah. And then I end up causing more frustration, more pain, more disaster. Yeah. Like it would have been easier if I just called somebody in the first place because yeah. they would know what what in the world to do. Yeah. But all those areas kind of feed back into shame. And and for a man, it's it's you don't have what it takes. Yeah. You're not enough. Um, and and. You're you're not doing what you need to be doing. You're, you're you're not being who you need to be. And then, and then if that if, if something else happens, or say say my kids are the cause of the breakdown. Yeah. Like my kid broke the thing that right. I can't fix. Then I'm mad at my kid. Yeah. You project <laughs> all our frustration onto like, our kids. Come on! Yeah. I just, this was brand new. Why did you? Why didn't you take care of this? Because now I don't know how to fix this thing you right. just broke. Oh yeah, that's. You are not. That's where he and I really connect because I, I'm blessed for pray so for many handymans in my life, including my wife. Like my wife too, she's so much better at fixing things than I do. 
Um, but even when she started fixing things, you know, now I don't feel it anymore. Now I'm like, hey, babe, you do it. Yeah, but in the beginning, secure. it's like, well, I gave up. I just <laughs> surrender. I don't know about how secure I feel. I'm just like, it's, you know, but 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 in the beginning, it's like, man, I'm, I'm such a loser. I can't even fix this. Yeah. I, 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 one example just came to my mind. On Christmas, this past Christmas morning, one of my kids' toys, uh, you know, Christmas present open yeah, up yeah. toys. And like. Uh, you got to put it together. And I hate those kind of Oh toys. my gosh. I, I would I ever learn not to get complicated toys from my kids because kids would put it together. And I'm terrible. Like spatial recognition, all that stuff. I'm just terrible at it, right? So I'm on Sunday morning trying to put this thing together for my son. He didn't care. He's moving along. He's playing with other things. Right, right, right. I'm about to lose my mind because I can't put this together, okay? And my wife is like, why are you doing this to yourself? It's Christmas morning. Enjoy the meal. Enjoy yeah, your kids. You're all stressed out. I'm there losing your kid, my mind. Your kid's probably playing with the box the toy came exactly. in. Exactly. They're moved on. They're like, Dad is being weird right now. Mom, you need to say something to him. And I'm lo- I'm just like, why won't this fit? I'm losing my mind. And and again, completely irrational. My brain's completely disintegrated. I'm in a different world. I'm at World War Three. It's Christmas morning. And later I thought back. Eventually, like my wife gave me enough nudge. I'm like, okay, I, I just gave up. I felt like a total, when I, when I just put the toy aside, I felt like a, oh, I think it was like a transformer I couldn't transform or whatever it is. <laughs> I ended up having to YouTube it. You got transformed into yeah, demonized me. I know, I know, exactly. I had to YouTube it because it was so hard. The point is, I look back and I thought through, I'm like, why did I, what did that happen? Yeah. It's through, the, because I fell completely into shame. Because when I was younger, um, I had some toys and it broke or I didn't get I don't want to go into the whole story the point is when I was younger with toys that was a, a huge error of shame for me I'm not enough I don't get the good thing there was right. bubbled of shame there lurking all these decades <laughs> under the radar when I stopped playing with toys and then on Christmas morning in 2020, 2021 it came it reared his ugly head and it says Andrew you're not enough in that moment and I was completely sucked into a shame storm right, but you, you didn't you weren't able to process like the no, journey no you're just in this no, world I, I became the Hulk on Sunday morning yeah. over the Transformer <laughs> but, but, but reading that book gave me such clarity because when that happens again right. this morning my son was whining because something won't work and I was trying to fix it and I felt that that the emergence of that you're not enough you're a loser and I was just like look I'm not even gonna argue with you I am enough Jesus said I'm enough I'm putting it aside and I put that toy aside but but so how am I able to overcome that is by recognizing what's happening and with my wife helping me alongside of me say Andrew this is what's happening again you know so anyways I had had a a man who was talking to me just sharing honestly about you know dealing with shame and frustration and and it was uh, regarding marriage class now our marriage class is great and he thinks our marriage class is great yeah. but when his wife you know he's worked a long week he's tired sometimes on sunday he'd like just to stay home and, and spend time with his wife yeah and she's all excited about coming to marriage class because yeah. for her she's got friends and they're together and they're working on their marriage and you know it, it says to her that my man's committed to our marriage and security and safety and we're moving forward and there's people and we're having fun but and i can relate to, to his comment because he said when she says no, no we have to go to marriage class how the way he interprets that is you don't think our marriage is good yeah you don't think i'm being a good husband, yeah. I'm, I'm working hard. I'm providing. I love you. I want to be with you, and and we and you got to go off to marriage class. And so, I'm interpreting that as I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. 
And I can relate to that. You know, sometimes when our wives suggest things or or they're trying to help us, like his wife was not saying our marriage is terrible. Right, we need right, to go to marriage right. class. His wife was saying, I'm so excited to be with you experiencing marriage class together, working on, on having an even better marriage. She wasn't being critical at all. Yeah. But the voice inside of his head, which I think is the voice you and I and every person can identify with, the voice that says, she doesn't think you're enough, yeah. or she's not satisfied, or she's not appreciative, or she's yeah. not grateful. And and it's amazing how the, the enemy goes after those they, things. That I it funnels down to, hey, why is she not satisfied? I'm not enough. And it plays off all these yep. fears, shame, shame, anxiety, shame, shame, shame. Uh, deep identity issues, and... I mean, it could be simple as, hey, honey, uh, how about a new couch? Spiral, 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 yeah. spiral, spiral. What's the matter with our old couch? Yeah. You know how much couches are? You know how hard they have to work? And uh, how about this? Like, this used to trigger me. Hey, we haven't gone on a date in a while. You know, what's my wife asking? She's saying, hey, I would love to go on a date with you. Well, she's really, she's complimenting. She's, she's saying, I want to be, be with you, right? With you, yeah. But is that what we hear? No. I mean, it took me years to learn no, because what I heard was you don't spend enough time with me, you don't spend, spend enough time with kids. Like I got all these places to juggle. I'm trying to I, I, I literally say to her, it's like, I, I can't do enough. I feel like I'm going 100% and I'm not enough. Yeah. Well, I can relate, you know, in a, in a growing church, you might have, you know, 19 <laughs> great ministries, but yeah. somebody comes up and says, how come we don't have this ministry? And I'm yeah. like, loser, yeah. terrible yeah. Or, or this area did not, would not do well, and this thing did not connect right, and all these different, and these are, they're not bad comments. They're, they're good feedback. I appreciate those feedback. Don't get me wrong. Right. But what Shane tries to do is twist that to say, you know, all You're those not things. Enough. You're not enough. Yep. And, and that's the devil again, playing off of our insecurities um, and, and overwhelming us with uh, with that swirl of emotion that takes us to a really bad place. So yeah. we're, um, we're getting a lot of great feedback on this series because shame is something. It's like the air we breathe. I mean, maybe you have your own stories that are popping into your mind uh, and, I, and just what you said, and maybe that's the takeaway for today, is the first step to really getting healed from shame is to be aware of the fact that it is shame. Because uh, it because it gets clouded and it gets masked and it gets hidden in a bunch of emotion or a bunch of other emotions like anger or passivity or whatever that just uh, uh, hides the real root of that. So um, you're going to go off to the dentist and you're going to get everything fixed. And maybe you yeah. could even play with a toy while you're doing it and experience I'll work on my transformer while <laughs> doing the root canal on me. Yeah. But it's interesting because, you know, this is another principle we'll talk about. Shame is, shame is really healed uh, in the process of kind of facing the very thing that was the source of our shame yeah. and, and learning how to, to, to process it differently. Yeah. And uh, so we hope this has been helpful for you as we talk about these things uh, we encourage you if you haven't listened to the podcast uh, or to the uh, to the Sunday service you can go to our website at hellstones.org and listen to that uh, but we, we think it'll be very very helpful to you in fact you know by the time you're watching this podcast uh, we will have had a couple more Sunday messages that were really good we'll probably get into those in the weeks to come uh, on how we can learn from Jesus on how to process our shame. And then on the heels of that, we're going to be talking about the, the violent attack that Jesus uh, uh, underwent uh, that was really an attack on his identity as the Son of God, uh, which is really Satan's, again, major relationship killer at work here is his scheme, which is shame. And, um, and how Satan over and over again tried to bring shame into Jesus' life to get him to question who he was, what authority he had, why he was doing what he was doing, and whether he was really enough to get the job done. Yeah. And of course, in all those situations, Jesus 
came through uh, as a shining example uh, that he has what it takes, that he's worthy, that he's chosen, uh, that he's the Savior, that he is who God says he is, uh, and that he's dearly beloved. Uh, he brings this Father joy. Uh, and these are two things, you know, identity and, and unconditional love. And ministering uh, out of those two realities is really the key to, to, to being successful, fruitful, joyful uh, in all areas of our life, knowing who we are and knowing that we're greatly loved by our Father. Amen. Uh, and so we want to remind you of that, that in Christ, you, you do have what it takes. Uh, God is with you. He's for you. He'll not leave you. Uh, he loves you, and you bring him great joy. Uh, those are powerful truths to remind yourself with today. So yeah. thanks for joining us. Thanks for spending this time with us. We hope it's an encouragement to you in the middle of your week. And, uh, and we just look forward to perhaps connecting with you again at this format or seeing you face-to-face at one of the ministry, many ministries we have going on here at Livingstone's Church at Crown Point. Thanks again for tuning in. Until uh, next week, have an amazing, amazing week. Keep your head up, stay out of shame, and keep living in the joy and favor of the Lord.